Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 338 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hi, Sarah. So we are talking about hosting and being a host uh, for gatherings today. And I don't know, Megan, I feel like this is kind of the kickoff to holiday content on the mom hour, like unofficially. Yeah, I agree. And we've got some really great holiday content coming up, but it feels like like we're here now. Here we are. Here we are. Yeah, I guess we did a we did a Halloween episode, um, a house rules for Halloween. But as we go into kind of November, December, January, typically we quite a few of our episodes, not all of them, but quite a few will somehow touch on the upcoming holidays. And today we're just talking about the concept of hosting gatherings, um, entertaining. We're going to talk about it from our own perspectives because that's what we do on this show, right. but hopefully also offer some um reframing opportunities for people who might feel stressed out by gatherings. I do think that this holiday season might be different than last year, but maybe not quite as normal as two years ago. So I think in our community, there are a lot of people figuring out like, wow, I haven't hosted a dinner in two years or like right. the last time I hosted, I didn't have all these kids. And now like right. now their <laughs> ages happened? are How different. How did I get all these kids? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about um, our own hosting experience, maybe where we have some some hangups or maybe where we actually do really well. And then also like how to make the experience of hosting a gathering feel authentic to you and your family without, you know, holding yourself to an unattainable ideal that you saw in a magazine or maybe that you remember from growing up your parents or your grandparents. And that's really hard. I think that's something we're always working against. And sometimes when you're inviting a bunch of people into your home, that pressure tends to ratchet up. So we're going to talk about right. all of that today. Yeah. And I think that we, we all have our own, uh, framework that we're coming from our own things we were exposed to that gives us our ideas. It's like when we talk about anything that looks like the norm to us, like the norm is based on what was, what are we were exposed to. And then you 
get around other people and realize like their norm was very, very different. So sometimes we set like our uh, standard based on something we think is like what everyone's doing when actually maybe it's just really what people in your life were doing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, What's also true is the ages of your children really, really impact how and what it's going to look like if you are hosting a gathering. Sometimes it might feel easier to host if you've got a bunch of tiny kids because they're close to their bed. You can put them down for a nap. You don't have to drive in the car for 10 hours, but it's also hard. And I I just want to acknowledge that because we're speaking from the vantage point of having older kids ourselves, but we will, we will tell some tales of what it was like to host when we had tiny kids underfoot because we know that is, that is a whole thing. Yeah. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle. Whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour50 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place.com code MOMHOUR. All right, Megan, I have just kind of like some questions to set the stage and get us thinking about just ourselves, you and me, and how we like to host, how we've historically hosted. So a little bit of storytelling here. Um, And I I first want to know, like, tell me about one or two big hosting experiences you have had in your home. And when I say big, it could be the number of people like you had a dinner for 25 people or a Thanksgiving, you know, with both sides of extended family. It could also be big in importance, like maybe like you hosted a wedding or like some really important big party Um, could be like a like 
overseas house guest for a month. Like I don't, you could, it's open for interpretation, but like, what's the, what is the pinnacle of your hosting experience look like? Well, two come to mind and I'm going to talk about them both because they're very different in terms of like the way I hosted. Yeah. One was that when I was still married, um, for probably five running years, we hosted a big Halloween party and, um, it was usually like an adult oriented party, but sometimes it would fall on the same night as trick or treating. I think that happened somehow twice. And I don't remember if that's because maybe they moved trick or treating to Halloween. Oh no, it was because three years in a row, Halloween fell on a weekend. So it was like, you know, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so for whatever reason, we ended up combining the trick or treating with the party in some way. Um, so it would be like having to manage. So it would be like all the people who had kids who were also going to come to the party would all come in costume. And then we would do trick or treating in the neighborhood. And then the kids, depending on the ages and stages and all that would end up going someplace else, um, either to another person's house where they'd be babysat by one Mm -hmm. of the older kids or would stay in our house with someone to like watch them. And then the adult part of the party would kick off. And that was like complicated because we had menus and special drinks and the house was all decorated and I was costumed and they were themed. We did like themed costumes. Uh I want to say at least four years in a row, we did themed costumes. So that was like a big undertaking and it would range. Like if you counted all the kids in my house, it was sometimes upwards of 20 people. Um, but really, really fun. And then every year for as long as I can remember with a couple exceptions, I have done, um, the days leading up to new year's Eve and new year's Eve with my extended family. So my siblings and, um, like, you know, people like on my side of the family, sometimes my aunt, when my parents were alive, my dad and stepmom. Um, so like, it's a big group. And at some point it shifted from happening at my dad and stepmoms to happening at my house. Okay. And it was like that for a good 10 years. So we would usually at the time we were living in the same town. We did actually do it a couple of times when we lived where we had everybody sleeping in our house. That was crazy. Like in Chicago, there was nobody else. So like everyone came to my place and that was insane. Um, but we also had a couple of years where it'd be like one other family would be in the same town. So like in St. Joe, mm-hmm. John and Jenna live in the same town and they might take some of the guests for the right. night but I'll take the rest. But like at some point, everyone's in my house. Right. And so that also could be between 15 and 20 or more people, because then you've got like older nieces and nephews bringing their significant others and their significant others, kids. Like, so there's like, it was very, very big, but that was super relaxed. That was basically like, you're going to come crash at my house for days on end. But like, besides offering you some, like, we're all going to order pizza together, right. or maybe I'm going to make a big pot of chili or whatever. It was more in that case, just like, making sure I had enough toilet paper on hand mm-hmm. and enough pillows and places for like, I remember like little bodies of children <laughs> spread from one side of the room to another. And we had oh little ones God. like, like yeah. babies and toddlers and preschoolers. And they would just be, you know, anyone over the age of like 18 months is like lined up in a row in one of the biggest rooms sleeping oh my while downstairs, like the adults are hanging out. So, um, that was more like those, the skills required for those two different kinds of gatherings are very different. Like one is planning and the other is just like figuring it out as you go and being yeah. cool. And <laughs> chaos, chaos tolerance and chaos management. Exactly. Almost. Yeah. Um, those you? are, those are such good examples. And it, it really makes me realize that one kind of hosting I don't have a ton of experience with in my adult life is the kind of 
mass overnight guests. I have like one mother-in-law who will come and stay or, you know, one, I have two mothers-in-law. Um, they'll come and stay one or the other. And then that kind of thing, but never like a house full of cousins and stuff like that. I grew up in gatherings like that and loved it yeah. as a kid. Um, so two different ones come to mind for me. Also very different in their, in their bigness. Um, I used to host a neighborhood kids caroling party and I did that for five years in a row. And I've talked about it on the podcast before I can dig up somewhere where I think where I explained it, but it was a lot of people because it was families and families with kids. I think the number of actual bodies was like 40 to 50, but they weren't all inside my house. Most of the party took place in the garage and out front. So it was a lot of people. It was a lot of details because we actually like we took the kids caroling up and down the street and we actually planned our stops and some of the neighbors like were expecting us. And so there was like, there was all of this coordinating of like when we'd go and whose house we'd stop. It was like if you tried to trick or treat, it was like trick or treating, but with a group of 40 or 50 people at Christmas time. It right. was a, it was a lot of moving bodies. Um, and then of course, like it was also a lot of food and we did it potluck style and we had the kids practice their singing. And so a very different type of gathering, it very much played into my strengths. Um, and we'll, we'll talk later about our strengths, but it was always a huge undertaking. And then I was so glad I did it. And I was also so glad that it didn't even take place inside my house. So there were entire right, elements right, right. of hosting, like the the point where everyone's in the kitchen and you just want them to get out like that never happened because it wasn't in the kitchen. So, right. Yeah. Um, so that was one. And the other one that came to mind is the Christmas where Violet, Violet's a January baby. And so at Christmas, she's always about to turn a year. And this was the year where she was just under one. So she was like 11 months, which means it was my first holiday season with three kids. So I had a baby. Mm-hmm. And then a three and a five-year-old. And for whatever reason, we had Brian's dad and stepmom and Brian's sister and brother-in-law. They did not usually come for Christmas, but they did that year. They had a separate place to stay. So they were not in our home overnight, but we, you know, for all the meals we did together. And then my parents were living locally in Phoenix. My brother was there, my sister, and she was newly together with her now husband. And so that was kind of new and I want to say it was like 15 or 16 people. Plus, I'm, I'm like a new mom of three. I'm just getting my feet wet as like having three kids. And we did Christmas dinner and Christmas. So my parents lived locally. We didn't do every gathering at my house, but we did some of them. And I know we did Christmas dinner at my house. And I just remember like I remember the pictures because we didn't even have a table big enough. Um, and it was a lot. I, it's a happy memory. I think it went well, but it was a lot. And it was that it was that dynamic where you're combining in-law side and family of origin side, which that's, yeah, that's different. It's different. And <laughs> it's it, always, different. Yeah. it worked well when it was Brian, it, it works well with both, like all of my in-laws and my parents. It's, there's never been any, like, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's fine, but it is still different. You're still merging, especially like we even down to the sibling level, like Brian's sister was there and my brother and sister. And that's not typical for our gathering. So that was the other one that came to mind. Big Christmas dinner. Yeah. That's those are big undertakings, what you just described. And like, especially like the caroling party. That's like a lot of things it's a to lot. coordinate. Yeah, it, it was really fun. Um, I think this is all a good example that when we say hosting, you listening might be thinking of Thanksgiving dinner or like Christmas morning. There's a, there's so many different things to host. You can host like house guests overnight. You can host like a potluck outside, a Super Bowl party, like an open house. So there's there's a lot of different things this can look like. Um. I am curious, Megan, if there's anyone in your life or your circle or like even going back to growing up that you notice as a very naturally gifted host and someone who just seems like 
that it's effortless or they're really good at it? And also why? Like what what seemed effortless or excellent about it? Yeah, um, I have a few people that come to mind and um, I wasn't thinking of mentioning her, but I was because I wasn't thinking about childhood. But my mom, um, she didn't post a lot, but she would always pull out like the good linens on like Thanksgiving and Christmas yeah. and like everything always just felt very special at special times of the year, which I think is why I have such a natural um, ingrained, um, I guess, preference for for seasonal special like yeah. ritual, like rituals. And traditions and like the things that make something feel special. And it could be just pulling out the same napkins you pull out every single year. I mean, I think they were from her wedding or something. They weren't just, it, they weren't in style at all. I remember them actually being like avocado green and thinking like no one uses this color anymore. But because they were the special Thanksgiving and Christmas napkins, I loved them. And there was just a little pomp and circumstance that happened at a few times of year. And we would usually have at least like one person who would be from outside of our family who would be at that dinner, even if it was like the old lady that we were, yeah. I guess, like, meant, you know, I don't know what you call it. Like you kind of adopt a, an uh-huh. elderly person. And we had one who pretended to die at the table just to freak me and my brother out. Now oh that was funny. Like she, she faked healing oh, over in her food and I then laughed I've at us story. with oh like no gosh. teeth. I mean, it was now looking back, it's really funny, but my brother, my brother and I were like really scarred after that. Um, but anyway, so, um, good times. Right. But there was always like, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like the olden times when people would have like the school board president would come uh-huh. to dinner or like the preacher or whatever. Like in and Mad was, Men when, the, like yes. when the priest comes to Peggy's mom's yes. house in Mad yes. Men. Like, like, having... be, like the special guest. And it, yeah. so it'd be like mostly our family plus like one special guest. It's always just, a, it was an interesting situation to throw kids into. And I think very actually instructive and not something I have maybe ever purposely done like with intention for my kids, but actually is something I think there's a lot of value in. So that's one, that's like the example I grew up with. Then I look at two very different examples. My friend, Missy, she goes by her name. Her name is actually Melissa, but anyone who knows knew her in high school or, or earlier calls her Missy. Um, she's just like a great appropriate host. If you know what I mean, she's always, mm-hmm. she's never going to invite you over if she doesn't have stuff on hand, she's going to have something to offer you. It, she's going to have if she invites you over for a pool party, she's going to have a towel. If she invites you over for like afternoon, she's going to have a snack and a drink. Like there's never, you don't ever have to think you're going to get there yeah. and there's, and you're going to feel awkward because you didn't bring the right thing. It's just uh-huh. like she was raised to know how to act, to, to be appropriate in every situation. And it shows. Um, and then on the other hand, and, and she's also lovely. It's like, not like it doesn't feel stuffy at all. She right. just knows how to make people at ease because it's she's true got hospitality. What it's, it's, it's hospitality. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then you've got my sister, Catherine, who I swear never has any food in her house. Like, I don't know how, like she constantly doesn't have food and I know she eats, but it's funny. Like the joke is like, I'll be on my way to her house and I'll think, oh, of course she'll have some food. And then we get there and she's like, well, we're going to run to the grocery store. What do we need? And I'm just laughing. Cause it's like, I don't know what, what, whatever we want or like we're out of milk. Whoops. We don't have any yeah. bread. Oops. But she's like the most welcoming person ever. And you feel like it doesn't matter who you're bringing in. You could walk in with like six pit bulls and, and she'd be like, Hey, come on in. And like, like there's always room for one more. And she's just I very relaxed that. and her house just, it's like eclectic and weird, but it makes you feel it's very cozy and fun. So it's like two completely different ways of being a good host, but both yes. equally good. And both like, so valuable that I think if we, you know, if we get in the habit of holding ourselves up against the wrong standard, we're always going to feel like we're not doing it right, but there's so many ways to do it right. 
There are. And we're going to get into talking about what what we enjoy as a host. And I bet you both Missy and your sister have kind of tapped into what makes them feel good or what what parts of it they enjoy. And then that comes right. through as hospitality. Your right. sister does not enjoy having a stocked fridge at the ready. No. Uh, and that's not like she's not really she, a, she doesn't care about cooking. She doesn't right. really care about eating, honestly. So for <laughs> her, it's whatever, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. Well, I'll mention a couple and I'll start with my mom, too, who I think is an incredibly intentional host. I will say and she listens to this podcast so she can tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think she enjoys hosting large gatherings and maybe never has. And so I think she has like a like a tension with it. She's very good at it. And what she's really, really good at is thinking of intentional ways for people to spend their time. There's always like a thoughtful touch of like, Maybe it's the way we express gratitude on Thanksgiving, or maybe it's like um, having a photo album out that you get to look at from the old, you know, the older generations because we're gathering with that side of the family, like very meaningful touches. I don't think she enjoys hosting. I think it stresses her out and all the executive functioning skills that we're going to get into, like that are, that's a lot. And so I think what I notice is she's very gifted at creating meaningful experiences and also doesn't enjoy a lot of the t- typical trappings of party planning. Um, and I think that's interesting because if we can outsource what we don't enjoy, I think there's still, there's still something to that. So, well, anyway. can I just interject mm-hmm. because I've been hosted by your parents a couple of times and that's very different from being part of a huge party, right. but I did actually come in on the tail end of them having been hosting <laughs> yeah, a friends. gathering this yeah. last time. Like they have like six, four, four or six friends in yeah. town or something yeah. Yeah, who were, I believe were, were they house guests? Yeah. House guests and yeah. longtime friends, like couples, yeah. two couples. Mm-hmm. So I always feel very relaxed in your parents' space, which their space is impressive. It would be easy to feel like you don't know where to sit or like mm-hmm. where to perch yourself. Like there's uh-huh. many options. And I've never, like, I always feel like it's very like, here, let's go out on the patio. And why don't you sit there, Megan? And here's a blanket. Like it always feels like it's very, to take a space that's, that's, that's that large and kind of imposing and yet figure out how to like, corral people into the place they'll be the most comfortable is a skill. Like, I think that's like a real gift. And then I feel like every time I've been at your parents' house, your dad kind of takes over the cooking. Is that true? Like, yeah, he likes to cook more and he's definitely the bartender. And I think he enjoys that, um, that aspect of hosting more, but, and um, your mom is sort of like making the conversation and getting me like set up with what I need. And then your dad, and then your dad just keeps leading me over to the wine. Yeah. In the end. (laughs) Yes. You can yeah. always count on Glenn. But yeah. I mean, but I feel like it's like a teamwork thing, which I know we're going to get and, into as well. And she does a lot of um, the food prep ahead of time. And then right. he like sort of becomes that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, the two people I wanted to mention from my grown up life, my friend, Sarah Jack, who does listen sometimes, Sarah, I hope you're listening, is she is truly an effortless, effortless, gifted party host. And I'm always in total awe. And I wish I could put my finger on it. She loves food and loves to cook. And there's always so much food and it's beautifully displayed. And like, it's just, it's, it comes from love. It's like the people for whom food is love, like big, big trays of like, you know, a cheese board and a this and a that. She's also incre- like, she's very talented at decorating. So her home just feels like, it feels like a magazine. And yet she feels like, or I feel like she's enjoying it. And I think for a lot of people going for that perfect charcuterie and the perfect magazine home, then they're miserable because they somehow have lost themselves in the process. And I feel like for Sarah Jack, she's just really good at it. She's like really talented 
at having great parties and great gatherings. And, um, I've always been in awe and we've been hanging out socially with them for like 15, over 15 years. And I'm always like, I don't know how you do this, but it's, that's how, you know, it's a gift is like, it just, it seems effortless. My friend, Sarah Sample from growing up, my best friend from high school is, um, I have not done a lot of gatherings at her house cause we've lived far away from each other for all of our adult life lives. But I went to her 40th birthday at a resort in Montana a few months ago and what she is so gifted at is bringing together disparate groups of people. And Megan, I think you're good at this too. You and Sarah have a lot in common. Um, bringing together, it doesn't matter like from what corner of life this person knows you and this person knows you. Like she could have a coworker and a family and a town friend party. And she did for her 40th. And she's so good at making people feel connected to each other and like doing that thing where you want, you're so excited to introduce one friend group to the other. And that's something I sometimes overthink or feel awkward about. And she's so good at it. And there's nothing more comforting than going into a social situation where it's almost like someone has taken care of the icebreaker because they're going to introduce you around and they're going to make sure that everyone loves everyone. It's like Sarah, Sarah's root motivation is to make sure all of her friends love each other. So she's genuinely (laughs) excited to put people in the same room and facilitate. And that's another very, um, sophisticated way of being a host that has nothing to do with food, nothing to do with how you decorate your house, nothing to do with anything else. It's like a social emotional hospitality that I find really impressive. Well, I, that definitely resonates a lot with me because I think that that's always my number one priority is make sure everyone in this room enjoys and loves each other. And I guess the dark side of that is when they don't, and it's nothing that you did. (laughs) It kind of can wreck it. Honestly, I'm not someone who can just like be in a situation where there's tension and just like go about my business and let it roll off my back. It really yeah. bothers me. And it will kind of be a fun ruiner for me. So like that's the dark side of being yeah. someone like a Sarah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's probably more advisable for friend parties than like mixed family gatherings, because right. I, I think in some families like you, there's no there's nothing you could do to, you know, not everyone's going to like everybody else. Exactly. And that's just that's just reality. And they yeah. might have to gather anyway. So. Right. Um, so last question before we take a break, obviously we know that hosting is not a solo endeavor and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't feel like it's all on our shoulders. So I'd love to hear just how you think you relate to others in the lead up to hosting a gathering. So you could talk about things like whether you're a good delegator, are you kind of like the Mrs. Hughes of Downton Abbey where like, you know, everything that's going on, but you're still very much in control Do you like when people offer to help, are you good at accepting help or does that make you feel overwhelmed? And final question, this might be more me. Do you try to do it all until the last minute and then yell at everyone or feel grumpy or bitter or martyred? (laughs) I know there are some of those uh, of us are listening. So where are you? Yeah, well, I I spend a lot of my time in the and it's been a while since I've had like a truly big family gathering in my space. Like it's been now five years since I've really done more than like just having like my sister, you know, mm-hmm. and her husband over for the night or something. So it's been a while, but I will say like one of my strengths is just anticipating needs on a micro level. So toilet paper, clean towels, clean sheets, things like that are really important to me. And so when I was married, um, you know, obviously I'm not married anymore. So there's a lot of things that John and I did not do well together. But one of the things I think we did really, really well together was host. And part of that was because like, I was really good at the pulling together all of the pre stuff that you would need for people to be able to feel comfortable and also making people feel comfortable and relaxed when they got there. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And then he was really good at the showier parts of it, like putting out a spread, like an amazing spread or like creating the right playlist, like setting the mood. Like he was really good at that stuff. And I feel like between the two of us, we made it look really effortless and we made mm-hmm. it look really um, peaceful. But that doesn't mean that like it was always peaceful because he's great at delegating to the point where I would sometimes feel like his sous chef. And I'm like, no, I have other things to do, like in a different room. I can't stand here and wait for you to hand me a plate. So then he got really good at dele- like, get, like delegating that to the kids. I would say in general, I am a good delegator. But what the ages that my kids were when I was doing the majority of my hosting um, and the stuff I was doing wasn't super delegatable to kids that young. Um, Mm -hmm. because it was, it was rare. It wasn't like the kind of thing we're doing it every week. So the kids know what's going on. We're doing it twice a year. So I would have had to like teach them and host at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't really work. Like you can't, it's not like, Hey, a 12 year old jump on your bike and go buy two big cases of toilet paper. That's not going to work. So it would be more like I'd get home, bust open the toilet paper, hand two rolls to three different kids and be like, now you go put this in the upstairs bathroom. You go put this in yeah. the downstairs bathroom. Like take these, like take these towels that I washed and dried and folded. And now you take it and put it in the, like the towel rack in this bathroom. So it was a lot of like micro delegating like that, but, but really kind of sporadic. And, and I really do enjoy it though. I would say there's nothing to me about any of that. That's not enjoyable. Um, it just gets a little much yeah. at the very end. I am good about recognizing if stuff's just not going to come together and if people show up early and stuff's just not done, like saying, Hey, can you help me with this? Or oops, that's not done yet. Give me a second. I didn't get a chance to put the sheets on your bed. Like I don't have a lot of embarrassment about stuff like that, but that might also be because the majority of my hosting has been close friends and family. So I think I feel a little bit different if I was like having people that I didn't know very well in my space and I felt like it wasn't ready. I don't know. What about you? Well, you bring up a really, really good point. And I think you said that I forget already the way you phrased it, but something about like all the things that happen in the immediate lead up. And I think that is where I fall down in terms of delegating or accepting help. Um, Brian and I also are a really good partnership. We enjoy hosting together. We have good complementary skill sets. I feel like I I'm in my element a week out or two weeks out or four days out when it's time to make a grocery list make a task list, decide like what needs to be done. The project planning part of it, Brian and I work really well together. He tends to cook. I tend to do everything else. We have a lot of fun. And then things, the the wheels fall off in the, in the hours and minutes before it starts, because I think I carry this false expectation that if I get everything done right beforehand, then I will enjoy and relax and enjoy my own gathering. And I think that's like, that's a fair assumption, but I think it leads to, first of all, scrambling and yelling at people in the, in the final <laughs> minutes, which I just am known to do. And I, I like, am still working on it. Do you remember the, I mean, this is old now, this is probably five years old, but there's that video that was going around on social. And I think it's, it's a, it's a comedian guy, but he's like dressed like a mom and he's okay. walking around <laughs> yelling at everybody. And it's, so it's like a reel before there was reels. It's just like a maybe yeah. two minute video. Yeah. And it's like, there's company coming. And like, I mean, it's so funny, but it's so true. And my kids sometimes yeah. will say to me, like, if we're all cleaning, they'll be like, who's coming over, mom? I'm like, yeah. nobody. We're just cleaning. They're like, really? I'm like, okay, well, okay, maybe Eric's coming over. But, and they're like, oh, so we only clean when people are coming over. Like, no, we should clean all the time. But when there are people coming over, maybe it's just a good time. It's a good opportunity. So I yes. totally know what you're talking about. Yes. 
Yeah. And I wish I think what I could work on in terms of delegating or asking for help is like recognizing what you said, that when people arrive, you can still be doing tasks and talking to your friends and like pouring a drink. It's like I think I'm not going to be able to do anything once that clock strikes five o'clock or whenever people are showing up. And so I put unnecessary pressure mostly on myself, but then unfortunately on people around me to like have it be done and ready. But like at what cost? Because like what's wrong with like continuing to chop up a few vegetables as people meander into your kitchen? It's like I have a false sense that that's not okay. I realize that's like not super answering the question about delegation. But I think as we accept help, I think a big place where you can accept help is in the final push, whether that's from your kids, like you talked about, or your spouse, your partner, or like even your guests, if it's friends and family who want to help. I think that is probably a key, a key to enjoying your own gathering, I guess. Can I point out one tactical tip when it comes to things like accepting help? Please. I find that it's really helpful to have multiple sharp knives and multiple cutting boards that you Mm. can always grab because I've had situations before where like people walk in and want to help me and I literally don't have enough. I don't have a cleared off space or I don't have a knife to hand them or I don't have like there's nothing I can give them. I'm like, I wish I wish I could have you help me right now. But unfortunately, I'm already manning this station over here and there's nothing else to do. So it's just like a, a really simple thing. But having like an alternate sharp kitchen knife. Yeah. That Very you can smart. hand someone. And I also don't ever want to hand someone a dull kitchen knife. So right. that's that's the kind of stuff like I get in my head, not about the help and not about feeling like like I need to have it all done myself, but about setting someone else up for an um, like a non ideal work situation. Like, that's the kind of thing I get in my head about. Uh-huh. Like, what if what if I give them a job they can't succeed at? Right. Like I, if I give them the wrong job or I don't have the right tool, or they don't know how to do that thing. Like sometimes I get a little You're very worried about their internal experience. (laughs) Right. I would be worried that they don't, they're not going to do it the way I want them to. (laughs) (laughs) See, I wouldn't care at all, but I would worry like they, they, I'd hand them an onion and they'd be like, but I don't really know how to cut up an onion. And now I feel stupid. So like, I would be worried about giving them work that would make them uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you got to get over that too, because like most people do know how to do things at least well enough. Like, you know, so Whatever your motivation is, it's probably something we need to get over, right? Yes, agreed, agreed. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather. But please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your uptown loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Vionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Vionic Shoes wearable well-being for your feet. 
Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, so we are back. And a little shout out here to Kendra, the lazy genius, who I, I don't know enough to rattle off the specific episodes, but we can look in the, we can link in the show notes. Kendra is so good at like giving framework to what we're going to talk about here, which is kind of naming what matters to you and like not worrying about the rest. So I am confident that Kendra has some great holiday entertaining episodes and we'll make sure if you're not familiar with the lazy genius to send you over there. Cause I was kind of channeling Kendra when I was thinking about this. But Megan, we have a list here of like, I'm going to say like the pillars of entertaining and what we tend to think is important. And let's just go through them relatively quickly. And then we're going to talk about how do we decide what's really important to us and how do we decide maybe what to let go? So do you want to kick it off? Yeah, I will. And I will say that I think there are some of these on this list, probably the first two we're going to talk about, they get the lion's share of attention on like Instagram and you know what I mean? Like the, the ones that are more about the setting Mm -hmm. and the food and things like that tend to be the things that we think are what makes a good host or Mm -hmm. what makes a good party. Um, but I don't think we can all be good at all of these. Right. (laughs) And we can't care about, we certainly can't all care equally about all of these and all of them are like important, but not crucial because I do think when people are in your home, they're not going to notice if you're like, checking off every box in every single one of these categories. And they're probably going to notice the one that's the best. The thing that stands out the most is the one they're going to notice like, wow, they did a great job with the food or that party or that game was so fun or like, man, everyone was so relaxed. Like they're not looking to like, they're not coming in with a little pad to check, like to take notes and rate every part of your party on a scale of one to 10 and then give you a Yelp review. So, um, the first one is food and drink. And I mean, everything from like, did you have enough? <laughs> was it any good? Was it stuff that everyone could eat? I mean, that's for some people that there and then and there is the whole party. Yeah. And if they can nail that, they've done their job. And some people are great at it. And some people would just as soon, you know, order a pizza or have people bring their own food potluck style and focus on yeah. other stuff. Yeah. Uh, we also have the physical environment. So, you know, around the holidays, decor, music, Anything that has to do with the atmosphere, which includes things like lighting, temperature, making sure everybody's comfortable in their physical environment, the tablescape, the the small touches um, in the physical environment. Again, some people you could go all in and this could be like 
99% of your hosting energy goes into this or literally none. And, and a right. party could be good either way at any extreme or in the middle. I'm thinking of people coming in and being like wowed by like the lighting and the, like the tablescape and the decorations and not even realizing that you bought Gordon food service, um, pre like, like pre-made yeah. or whatever they have. They're so wowed by the other stuff. They don't even notice the food because their, their focal point is the thing you like did great at and like, the other stuff, just whatever. Um, another one, and this is one I'll admit I'm pretty terrible at this is like fun. So activities, games, themes, um, gift exchanges, costume contests, like every now and then, like I mentioned themed Halloween parties, but like that was me being able to rely on a lot of other people to kind of bring it. Like I can name the theme, but then everyone shows up in the themed costume and that's what makes it fun. Not me having to execute the theme. Right. Um, overall, this is a real weakness of mine. I've always kind of hoped if I just like get people, the right people together and make them comfortable, they'll figure the rest out. And I think that was like a real weakness for me when like my kids were having birthday parties, I was not coming up with great games, but it just didn't, it was never a strength or a a priority for me. Yeah. And I think there's probably a lot of people listening who are cringing at the idea of party games or icebreakers. Um, but I think this category could include things like, um, having a signature drink or having a wine tasting thing. I think especially when they are optional and opt in, having a light, a light sprinkle of intentional activities or like at my parents' house, Megan, how there's always giant Jenga or cornhole in the backyard, like having, there are certain people who feel slightly awkward if they're not doing something at a party. And there are others who don't want to be told what to do at all. Like no one wants to play an icebreaker game and be forced to like awkwardly talk to someone they don't know. But I think there's often a middle ground that, especially after we graduate from kids' parties, we forget that that is that is a touch that can make a party really fun and potentially like smooth out some awkwardness. So totally agree. Well, the next one is what we talked about earlier, touched on, and that is the social emotional atmosphere, I'm going to call it. And this is that like, are people is are people getting along? Is a conversation flowing? Is anyone like standing by themselves and has no one to talk to? Are kids, I'm going to say like our kids behaving, but you know what I mean by that? Do kids have something to do so that their presence is well integrated into a mixed age party. And this is something I think some people are really good at achieving. There are probably some groups and some families where it's never going to feel super great. But I do think it's like, like I said about my friend, Sarah, she is excellent at what am I trying to say? Like, it's like nurturing or like setting the stage for that awesome social, emotional environment. Yeah. And that can be everything from like putting the right people in the right room together you know, sometimes that's the thing too. Like if you've got, um, you can kind of like herd people into conversations where you think that conversation is going to nail it. And sometimes that, like, I I think this is a strength of mine. I'll like lurk more in a conversation if I feel like it needs help. Yeah. And then like, if it doesn't need help, I go away and I go to a different conversation that like could use some massaging. And maybe, maybe I'm like socially controlling because I don't feel like I'm controlling in any other way, but I think sometimes I overthink that, but like it is, it's, it's when it's a, um, priority, that's where your energy goes. Right. So can I ask you a question about that? Does it, when you're doing that, does it feel fun to you? Cause I also am very aware of potentially awkward conversations or people who don't know each other, but it feels very stressful and uncomfortable to me. And I'm wondering if for you, it feels more nurturing and like it, like you don't mind it. Um, I would say 97% of the time I love it. Okay. Uh, 
97% of the time, it doesn't even feel like I'm doing anything outside of what I would do anyway. Like it's, it's very natural. It's just like, oh, this is a fun conversation that I could like maybe connect these two people on or pull this person in on. And then sometimes it's like, this isn't going well. And it's stressing me out because there's nothing I can do. It's just like these two people don't connect or like something's going to go terribly wrong. Like that is stressful because there's, I can't fix it. But like most of the time it doesn't even feel like work. It okay, just feels that's, that's awesome. Cause I, like the way I, I feel would. like I have the awareness piece of it, the awareness that it needs to happen, but it doesn't feel, it feels very stressful to me to have to. So I think that's probably where the fun comes in. Like the, like you were saying before about having stuff to do, like activities to redirect people to and stuff like that, to like cut the mm-hmm. awkwardness. Sometimes I think that stuff almost like heads off the stuff at the past that would become yeah. awkward. You yeah. know, um, I just tend to deal with it in the moment and not preparing ahead of time to get yeah. around it, but both ways can be effective. I yeah. think. Um, so the last one is the like practical logistics. So that would be like, um, everything going the way it's supposed to, like you don't run out of wine, you, <laughs> you know, like you have enough plates, <laughs> um, you don't have a food item that just doesn't come together. Like just the logistical stuff, not a super strength or frankly, um, not a, not even a super priority of mine, particularly unless it's something that in my mind is like going to make everyone very uncomfortable. I've talked a few times about toilet paper. Now I I have a weird fixation with toilet, like people not being in a strange bathroom and running out of toilet paper. It's really awkward. If it's ever happened to you, it's the worst. And I don't ever want that to happen to someone on my watch. However, if we run out of meatballs, everyone can deal. So maybe there's also like levels within each of these or like areas that are more important and, and areas that are less. I don't know. What yeah. Do you think? And I think it's also like, is your attachment to the success of the party wrapped up in these logistics or are they sort of like, they're sort of independent. Like you might eat at six when the turkey is done, you might eat at eight 30, but that's not the measure of, of a successful party. Whereas I think for some of us, things not going to plan or running out of things or not being on schedule is inextricably inextricably linked to the the success or the fun or the enjoyment of a party. And I do right. think that like different hosts fall along that spectrum differently and probably a more relaxed host is able to say like, "Oh yeah, that didn't go as planned at all. Like we we it, it burned and we ordered takeout and that was like such a good party." And I, you know, obviously there's there's everything in between, but I yeah. think everyone cares obviously about practical logistics to some degree, of course, when you're right. hosting. But I think some of us probably it's higher on the priority list and it's more attached to how we feel about the outcome for some of us than others. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that there is sometimes our um, own baggage. I don't want to use the word baggage like lightly, but like I have memories of going to sleepovers as a young kid and being left without a blanket or a pillow and just like laying there cold all night. Like Uh I have like very specific memories of that. And now my kids will make fun of me. Because if they have friends over, I'm running around like checking in, like Will had a group of like seven teenage boys and I'm running around like getting in each of their faces and saying, so you have a blanket, you have a blanket (laughs) and a pillow. Are you sure you have a blanket and a pillow? Because not on my watch, like I'm not having that happen in my house. So I will be obsessive about things like that and then not pay attention to whether there's any paper plates left like that, that, you know, so I never had a bad paper plate experience in my childhood. Like, so, you know, I think sometimes we bring to it our own experiences and history as well. A hundred percent. Well, so kind of going from here, how 
do you decide? You've you've mentioned a couple of these that feel more important to you than others and others you've been able to let go. But I assume that's changed in different seasons of life when your kids were little with different types of gatherings. Yeah. So is there like a shorthand when you look at this list and just to review, it's food and drink, physical environment, like fun and activities, social, emotional atmosphere, and then just like the the practicalities of getting this all done. How do you decide what to prioritize or how do you listen to that voice that says like, this is what I'm going to focus on and I'm going to let the rest go? Yeah. Well, I think that what this episode actually helped me identify is the things that always will matter to me. And then the things that sometimes will matter to me if I have the time, uh, resources, brain space, whatever, or if it just happens to interest me this year and some years it does and some it doesn't. So for me, like getting people together is always 100% about like, meeting social needs first. It's mm-hmm. truly about gathering people together and them feeling comfortable and warm and like friendly. Like those, those are the number one thing. Everything else is secondary. Mm-hmm. And there have been years where like, it's so secondary. Like none of, I don't pay any attention to the rest of it. Um, when the kids were really little, we had several years in a row where my in-laws came for Thanksgiving and they would pick up Boston market on the mm-hmm. way into town. So I hosted but my job as host that year was literally to provide a space that they could all come and visit their grandkids. And sometimes they'd bring the, you know, uh, uncle and aunt and they would all have a place to go and they would get to like bask in the glow of family. Right. But they got to bring the food and it wasn't even homemade food. It was like, go to Boston market and make sure you get enough of those corn muffins. Cause those are yeah. really good. So like there's that extreme. And then there's the years I've been like, you know what, this year I am making a Turkey and like seven sides. And I'm going to do all of it and I'm going to decorate because that's what I feel like doing this year. But I'm also going to make sure everyone's comfortable because that's my number one priority. So, I mean, it really changes. And I wouldn't say my kids getting older means that every year my gatherings get more ambitious. Some years I'm just busy or don't feel like it. Um, But as long as I'm kind of attending to, for me, the number one priority, which is the social emotional atmosphere, as you put it, I'm okay with the rest of it being kind of like whatever some years. And I guess. We all come in with probably our number one priority and the rest are like, you know, we do what we can when we can. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's reminding me of love languages, actually, because we I mean, we I just made up this list of five, but there are five of them. And just like love languages, it's kind of like it's not that they don't all matter, but the degree to which they matter to you is going to be different. Um, so, yeah, I love I love hearing that. I think for me, the the ones that are always fulfilling for me are the physical environment and the, and the fun or diversion. Those are ways that I feel like I, I connect to the process of being a host. What's interesting is most of those happen before the party starts, which I'm realizing right now. So it's almost like it's, I can control them. Once the party starts, you're like, well, yeah, I'm like, well, (laughs) my work is done. (laughs) I don't know what to do with myself now. Right. Um, Food and drink have always been a really enjoyable part of hosting for me, but I'm married to someone who really does enjoy and take care of most of the food stuff. So I feel like I get like, I, I almost get to say that's not of utmost importance, but it's because I know it's being really lovingly taken care of by someone else. Usually often we work together. It's not that I do no food. Um, but I think preparing the physical environment makes me feel like the way you feel when you prepare a baby's nursery or when you pack for a trip, there's this, like, there's this connectedness to the physical environment. That's much more about like, it's, it's much deeper than just like, I want my house to look pretty, or I want to scrub the floorboards, or I want, I want people to think I keep a clean house. It doesn't feel like that to me. It feels like, like, 
love and preparation um, for a gathering. And I'll probably never let that go. Even, even when we did our caroling party and it was in the garage, we would put up string lights and I would think about like where to put everything, both for function and how it looks. And uh, so the physical environment is always really important to me. The fun, the games and the themes and, and stuff like not every, not every gathering needs that. I don't want people to think that like, I have like Mad Libs going in the corner at every holiday <laughs> gathering or something, but it is something I think about probably because I'm not as natural at creating that social emotional environment that I think like, what, what are the little things that could draw different generations together? What books could I put out? What music, I guess music is more of the environment, but you know what I mean? Like what, what could we have available to do so that people feel like they, you know, are excited to be here. And it's not just about standing around talking, eating and drinking. I always want there to be like some other little twist. So those are the yeah. two that for me feel really fun. It's not that the others aren't important, but those are the ones that make me excited to host, I guess. Well, and isn't it funny how the things that are most important to you are also the most fun to execute? Um, yes. You know what I mean? And like for me, because parties for me personally, when I go to a party, I don't I think that like the addition of all the things you're talking about are so fun and they do make it more unique. And they also allow people, like you said, to draw together um, who might not otherwise have a lot of common ground. I don't need them as a party goer. Like for me, I'll be all right one way or the right. other. But there's definitely situations I've been before where I've thought, oh, this is really awkward. No one's talking. It would be, wouldn't it be nice if there was something we could all do? Right. Um, but for me, like as, because it's not a priority to me, it's not something that I invest a lot of time into but I can see how something that is really important to you becomes more fun. It's like when you get, uh -huh. when you recognize the importance of something, doing it well is enjoyable. And yeah. I think that those are both really, I mean, that's a really, that's an important part of being a host, especially when it's mixed groups of yeah. people who don't already know each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think like if there's a, if there's a takeaway from this part, it's that these five arbitrary buckets do not need to be executed at a nine and a half out of 10 all of them for every party. Like I'm thinking right. about your sister, Catherine and how welcome people feel in her home that has no bread or milk. Like we, we just like with motherhood or anything else, like we bring our strengths and that's what connects people to us. And it's not the, it's not the robotic, even execution of, of all the things. So that's helpful. Right. I mean, even for me to have the reminder, yeah. um, I want to finish by talking about you. You taught me the phrase scope creep. It's a, it's a <laughs> phrase that I mean, it comes from the world of Were we like in a right? cab? I have a very specific memory of being like in an Uber or cab when I, I don't remember. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. So I didn't know this phrase and maybe you wanted to find it as it, as it exists in like the creative and freelancing world. Yeah. Or like, I, I think I learned about it in an agency environment where it basically means you sign on to do one job <laughs> and then the client just keeps adding like, huh? little bit here and a little bit there. Like, can you also tweak this copy? Can you also make this change on my website? Can you also do this and this and this? And the next thing you know, you've for the same amount of money somehow done a completely different project than the one you were um, contracted to do. Right. It's a creep. It's a scope of creep. It, it is. It is creep of scope. And I love that phrase. It also definitely happens in like home renovation projects, right? Like you think we're going to like replace the bathroom vanity. And then you're like, oh, but we have to like go into the plumbing anyway. So we're actually also going to replace the right. toilet. And then we're, you know, so I definitely experienced this with parties. And I wonder if you have Megan or if listeners do where I have a pretty good handle on what I think we're doing for this gathering. And then somehow in the like 
36 hours beforehand, I think, you know what? We should serve an appetizer. We weren't planning on it, but like people might be hungry when they get there. And like, oh, you know what? I wasn't planning on the kids watching a movie, but let's drag the TV outside and set out, set out like an outdoor theater for the kids. And it all comes from a good place, but I, it really is directly linked to my stress level. And one thing I, I really, this holiday season, and just as a reminder for myself is that, um, protecting yourself from that scope creep toward the end, either by saying no, or just deciding like, we don't need to do that this time. That sounds fun, but maybe that's for a different gathering. Or maybe it's about setting boundaries with family members who want to like, can we also open presents at this party? It's like, well, we weren't going to do that, but okay now. So I guess being aware of what scope creep is and how it plays out in your party planning personality, I think is hugely helpful because the gathering you envisioned when you planned it, maybe it was a month out or something when you envisioned it, you probably have within you the ability to execute that gathering. You may not have the bandwidth to add a whole bunch of stuff on at the end. And it's really easy to have happen. So I don't know if you have experience with that. Okay. So I'm smiling right now because (laughs) for me, a party is 95% scope creep. Like for me, it's starting with the most stripped down version of something and then adding everything at the last minute or like during the party, (laughs) like literally during the party, I thought it was going to be 15 people. But at the last minute, I decided to invite seven more. And then I invited their kids to stay over. Like this is, this is something that I am like classic at. Here's the thing. If it's just me, I don't care. Like I don't care the amount of work it adds. There's something about that project based last minute energy, um, energy that I thrive on. And actually is like a big, like it pushes me. Like, I'm like, yes, like, why wouldn't we like, let's make a signature cocktail. Let's do this. Let's do that. Half of the stuff that ends up being awesome at parties I throw is nothing I planned. And it like, it truly comes together at the last minute. That's great. However, like I said before about John and I and our different personalities, when I was married, my tendency towards scope creep definitely caused tension. Like he was not, he was much more like, let's just do the thing we said we were going to do, (laughs) which I never thought was enough in the moment. Not because it wasn't a good enough party, but because if it, if this was good, how much better could it be right. if we do this, this, and this? So there was, there could sometimes be a tension around me inviting random people that he didn't know uh-huh. were on the guest list or weren't, but I just thought, let's text them at the last minute, invite them over. Um, me letting other people's kids spend the night. Like that was uh-huh. something I did all the time. I'd be like, well, they look really tired. Let's just throw them in the pile with the rest of the kids. Then the mom and dad can stay longer. And yes, your kid can spend the night. I would have like three or four or five sometimes extra kids spending the night. Oh my but God. I already had like 10 to start with. So yeah. it didn't feel to me. I also knew I was going to be the one dealing with it. Like I knew if in the middle of the night, anyone needed help going to the potty or yeah. needed a snack, I was going to be the one dealing with it. So in my mind, I was only buying myself more work. But looking back now, I can see how when you expect something and then you get something very different, even if it doesn't personally affect your workload, like that's stressful. So I do have some now empathy that I lacked at the time Mm -hmm. um, where I was like, why are you so grumpy? You just say no all the time. And he's like, why do you say yes to literally everything? In fact, why do you go out of your way to find things to say yes to that no one's even asking you to do? (laughs) And I'm like, because it's fun. I don't know. So, so so I do experience scope creep, but it's like almost completely self. It's, I bring it on myself. And as a single person now, who cares? 
I'll right. do scope creep all night long because it only affects really me. Um, but I do see how different that can, like I, what I mean by that is an unmarried person who doesn't live with another human. Right. The person I am now partnered to is very much not like that and would yeah. be very unhappy if like at the last minute I invited last minute guests into our home right. or something, if we live together. Right. So yeah, both like, you know okay. what I mean? Like, yes, yes. and. Yes, Anne. Okay, so then yeah. I'm going to ask you the what I think will be like the inverse of the question, which is what would happen to make you feel overwhelmed in an in a not so good way as a party got closer? So so it's clearly not um, adding a whole bunch of people or tasks or uncertainty because that feels fun and energizing to you. Yeah. Is there anything that makes you feel like, oh, my gosh, I thought this was going to be fun and now I feel yucky and overwhelmed? What would that be? There'd be one of two things. One would be me being expected to have too much figured out too far ahead of time. Like that would, mm, like if I was expected to have, well, I mean like before the deadline, like if I was expected to have everything nailed down a week ahead of time and like know every little detail, I would in the moment find that very stressful because I'd be like, I've got other stuff I'm dealing with today. Mm-hmm. And like, I'll figure that out later. Don't underestimate me. Like you I want don't the spontaneity preserved. I want the spontaneity, but I also don't, I just know that I can pull stuff off at the last minute if I have to. And I don't like the, uh, I don't like having to put aside what feels important to me right now Mm -hmm. to deal with what somebody else thinks is important for later. I'm like, we'll deal with that when we get there. Like, don't get in my way. Like right now I'm doing other things that feel more important or more urgent to me at the moment. And, but just because they are to me doesn't mean they are to everybody. So I I realize that's like, can be a character flaw. Um, the other thing would just be truly just people not like it not pulling together socially, like people not getting along or there being like a lot of um, misunderstanding of intentions or like complaining about things like things like that. Or like if I felt like, like I was being criticized Mm -hmm. or like not, I don't mean appreciated. Like I don't need fawning, but I mean the lack of appreciation, Mm -hmm. like complaints or like, Mm -hmm. especially kind of petty complaints Mm -hmm. that would make me stressed. But like the details wouldn't, Probably. And more people probably wouldn't. Okay. Unless they were the wrong people. Unless they were just jerky people. I didn't want around Then That would stress me out. But yeah, (laughs) they won't get invited next time. No, no, no. (laughs) Um, Okay. I'm so fascinated as always by the differences. I'm kind of, it is kind of a miracle that we're business partners. Actually, I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, geez, I'm a nightmare. Um, well, I'm just, I'm just someone else's nightmare, Sarah. Like, you know, everybody has the, a, a way to be somebody's nightmare. I'm sure. That's so. true. That's true. Um, okay. A couple of things before we wrap up first, just a reminder to check out our sponsor, Pock Pock Playroom. You heard about them earlier in the show and we want you to go check out playpockpock.com slash redeem and use the code mom hour. You're going to get 50% off an annual subscription by the by. Having a really calm sensory app like Pock Pock Playroom as um, an option for your toddlers and preschoolers when you are in the throes of party scope creep. Um, yes. That, yes, that pairs together Life-saver. like a fine wine and cheese, yes. I'm just going to say. Um, so again, that's code MOMHOUR at playpockpock.com slash redeem. Um, it's a really good deal. And uh, we're just a big fan of this these digital toys and this app for your iPhone and iPad. I love it. And we've got a, a blog post coming up that is kind of apropos to this topic, right, Sarah? Yeah, it's going to be up on Friday. So Joanna Martin, who is a whiz in the kitchen, Joanna writes a lot about uh, cooking and meal planning. So she's got the food stuff down, but she's writing about kind of how she learned to own Thanksgiving as a grown up and kind of make it her own after several years of hosting. 
Um, and she has got some tips and hacks about actually streamlining the meal planning and like the day of cooking. So real practical takeaways for Thanksgiving. That'll be up on the blog later this week. If you're listening right when this episode comes out, um, I believe it's out this coming Friday. So a couple more days, but we will um, in the show notes, we'll link to all of Joanna's posts and we'll make sure to share that on social when it comes out. Well, great. Well, we'll all talk to you soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring just kind of as an experiment and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mama or listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com.